0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Today we proclaim the good news. The gospel of Jesus isn't something for your spiritual life. You don't really have a spiritual life. In fact, another way to say that is, all you have is a spiritual life. Jesus doesn't come to just save our souls Today we proclaim the good news that Jesus, the gospel of the kingdom of God, gives us a new way of being human together for the hope of a new world. Let's learn again how to be human from Jesus. Friends, it's been a week. My wife's been on the couch with a fever all week, still has a fever this morning. Took our two kids to the doctor. I know I'm probably not supposed to say this. She took our two kids to the doctor this morning. They both have strep. I've been sort of solo parenting and homeschooling for most of the week, and now this Sunday afternoon is going to be a blast. (laughs) That's on top of all the pressures and pandemic stuff we're experiencing uh, individually and corporately as a community, but then our world, we've had a week, haven't we? Jacob Blake shot seven times in the back in front of his children. Protesting and riots breaking out in Kenosha, Wisconsin. A white teenager from Illinois drives to Kenosha and shoots three people, killing two. A Christian fundraising website, Give Sin Go, decides to raise $2,000 for him in support of his actions. The president of the largest Christian university in the USA resigned this week amidst sexual scandals involving him and his wife, of which they both deny. A famous Christian author and personality was videotaped sucker-punching a heckler on a bicycle as he left a convention rally. Another famous Christian commenting on that sucker punch said, and I quote, you just get so sick of these people and their filthy mouths, and their berserk screaming at people. Sometimes you have to use violence to preserve order. In case you missed it, that was in support of the sucker punch. Friends, the world is on fire. Now you can make an argument that the world's always been on fire, right? That's what the world does—is it burns. But I just named some things that were happening in the Christian community in this last week. And I submit to you that the Christian church, we are seeing increased polarity and division. Some see the 17-year-old kid who drove to Wisconsin as an out-of-his-mind lunatic. And some see him as a patriotic saint. They both say they follow Jesus. Some see our president as the greatest threat to our democracy, and some see him as its only hope. They're both Christians. Some see misogyny, racism, and abuse of power in the church as a problem. And some see misogyny, racism, and abuse of power as men got to be in charge or else there's chaos. Racism used to be a problem, but we took care of that. And sometimes people get hurt by good leaders because they have to get things done. Christians, our family is divided. Can you see that? We can't agree on a sucker punch or a 17 using an AR-15 to shoot three people. We can't agree on whether a president of a Christian college or the United States Are good guys, or bad guys, we can't even agree on what standards to hold people accountable to anymore. Have Christians ever been this divided, at odds, seemingly unable to agree on what is basic decency and goodness and truth? I want to say yes. Yes, they have. The book of Romans speaks of a church just like this. I'm really trying to get this sermon in at under 20. Lord help me. Paul writes to a Roman church. He's never been to. The reason he writes to them is because he's going through Rome to get to Spain. Actually, in your perspective, it's this way, right? Now, the S- Spain is where he's never been. He wants to take the gospel there, and he writes to the church in Rome to let them know he's coming, and he'd love it if they would support him financially to get to Spain. But he's got one big problem. Spain is made up of Gentile barbarians. And both the Jews and the Greeks in Rome despise barbarians. All right. So there's probably a six-hour lecture on honor-shame. Let me do it in six seconds. There's two hierarchies running in the Church of Rome that divides the Church in Rome. And one is the Jewish hierarchy which has Jews at the top of the honor pyramid, and underneath the Jews are Greeks and Gentiles. Now, Greeks are Gentiles, but Gentiles are more than Greeks. So the people living in Spain, barbarians, they're Gentiles, but not Greeks. You you tracking with me? Barbarians are the worst people, right? So that's one hierarchy. That's how the Jews see things. The Greeks see things differently. The Greeks are at the top. And all y'all who aren't Greeks are on the bottom, including Jews and barbarians. So for the Greek, it goes Greek, Jew, barbarian. And for the Jew, it goes Jew, Gentile, which is made up of, double click, Greeks and barbarians. Paul is writing to a church, not getting along, because they can't even agree about basic human decency. They, they think that their group is superior to the other group. And the only thing they can agree on, Jews and, gen, Jews and Gentiles in Rome, the only thing they can agree on is that the barbarians are the worst. And that's who Paul wants them to value by paying for his mission work to them. Do you see Paul's issue? Jews think they're better than Gentiles. Grink think they're better than Jews and barbarians. And Paul needs them to, one, reconcile church, start being the church, and two, ascribe honor and worth to the worst of the worst so you'll pay for me to take the gospel there. No problem, right? Should be a quick and easy letter. It's a little like, just to put it in our cultural terms, it's a little like trying to get Rachel Madow and Tucker Carlson to reconcile and then let them both give you money to somebody they both hate. Do you see what I'm saying? Are you tracking with me? John Crawford, that Tucker Carlson was for you because I know that would get you on the same wavelength there. So the, the problem that Paul's dealing with, is there anything on earth strong enough to, deal, to do that? Any amount of begging and pleading, any amount of lecturing, any amount of reasoning. Well, Paul doesn't think so. That's why he preaches the gospel. But the gospel, friends, isn't just a transactional Jesus plus a cross plus his death plus a resurrection equals your spiritual life in heaven. The gospel isn't about your spiritual life. It's about your real life. So if you want to say it's all spiritual, great. But that means... That the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom, wants to give us a new way to be human together. Not just strap on an awesome spiritual machine that's branded Jesus, but actually reconstitute what it means to be human so that we can be a part of a new world together. Let's look and see how Paul does this. I'm primarily in Romans, but we could talk about this in our Exodus story and Matthew as well. Paul says, love each other like members of your family. Verse 10, be the best in showing honor to each other. Think about Jews and Greeks as you hear this. Love each other like the members of your family. Be the best at showing honor to each other. Contribute to the needs of God's people. Welcome strangers into your home. Bless people who harass you. Bless and don't sucker punch, sorry, curse them. Be happy with those who are happy and cry with those who are crying. Consider everyone as equal. Don't think you're better than anyone else. Associate with people that have no status. Don't think you're so smart. To the best of your ability, live at peace with all people. If your enemy is hungry, feed them. If your enemy is thirsty, give them a drink. By doing this, you will pile burning coals of fire upon their head. Don't be defeated by evil, but defeat evil with good. Treat each other like members of your own family. Honor each other, Paul says. Take care of each other. There's no hierarchies anymore. No Jew, Gentile, or Greek, Jew, barbarian. Consider everyone equal. Even extend this to people you don't know. Try that out. Try loving people who are strangers. So it's not just insiders who get to participate in this new honor circle, but also outsiders and enemies. People who are hostile to you. People who are outsiders, i.e., barbarians. Bless those people even. Don't seek revenge. This is nothing short, friends. We hear this as like kind of some Sunday school platitudes about love. This is nothing short than a revolution on what it means to be human. It's not Jew or Greek. It's something different altogether. The gospel of Jesus isn't some nice, safe, spiritual thing. The good news, the gospel of Jesus, is his kingdom's been inaugurated. There's a new way to be human together that inaugurates a new world that runs by this Romans 12, 9 through 21 logic. This overturns all hierarchies, all us versus thems, all idiots, all bad hombres, all, all not, whoever, Nazis, whoever you want to label, it undoes all of that. So let's learn again, friends, how to be human from Jesus. We're going to spend the next three months talking about this. So I'm just kind of, this is just a primer or primer if you're from the south side of Indianapolis. This is just the beginning. I see you. I see you. This is just the beginning of of where we're headed. Because what we're going to contend for this fall, as we preach through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through Matthew 7, is that Jesus inaugurates a new politic, a new way of organizing and arranging ourselves as human. And it's not right or left. It's not Jew or Gentile. It's something different altogether. We need a, actually a new imagination to imagine what it looks like to live under the lordship of Jesus. Because we're living through a moment in American history, unlike any other. COVID, racism, conspiracy theories, presidential election season. We see our current Jew-Gentile or Greek-Jew spectrum playing out every day in the news. And we're told, Christian, if you're really a Christian, you must vote for this Greek and stick it to the Jews. If you're really a Christian, you must reject this Jew... And show yourself to be the superior Greek. But the gospel of Jesus won't be co-opted by partisan American politics. We're going to spend the next three months discussing how to live the politics of Jesus in a partisan America. And it's going to make both elephants and donkeys upset. It'll drain the color right out of the red and blue. Because the politics of Jesus isn't this midpoint between conservative and progressive. It's a different spectrum altogether. It's a different center altogether. And so we don't just need more information about how to live here. We need a new imagination about how that's bankrupt. So I decided to do something about this this weekend. Because I'm tired of like telling my kids to get off their iPads. Basically, all I do as a parent now. (laughs) And so I decided to smoke some Texas brisket. Uh, Permit me to end my sermon with a brief history of barbecue in America. (laughs) The term barbecue, I promise it relates. The term barbecue was most likely came from the Spanish word barbacoa. This is a traditional Spanish cooking form that involves buying meat, uh, burying it, and putting it in the ground over hot coals wrapped in leaves. This is how they used to smoke meat. Although Native Americans, Spanish, Mexicans, and black population practiced styles of this barbecue, in fact, they kept it alive, this style of cooking, we owe our modern translation of barbecue to the German and Czech immigrants of the mid 1800s, these uh, these settlers opened grocery stores and meat markets throughout Central Texas. And the butchers, these butchers, smoked leftover meat to keep it from spoiling. Now, uh, butchering uh, a lot of these German and Czech immigrants were Jewish, so the leftovers that they smoked to keep from spoiling soon became a mainstay with cowboys, impoverished blacks, and migrant cotton pickers. As such, barbecue was originally a poor person's dish. The slow cooking process made the meat quality inconsequential. Lesser-desired meat cuts were often given to the workers as part of their pay. And these original barbecue lovers started the tradition of eating barbecue on a piece of butcher paper served along with whatever they could find on the grocery store shelves. That's why if you go get barbecue, you'll get like jalapenos and onions on the side, right? Crackers, pickles, that's where this came from. These migrant cotton farmers unintentionally spurred the barbecue industry. As they traveled following the cotton, more dining options were needed for the temporary surge in population. And migrant cotton pickers weren't allowed or welcomed in restaurants because most of them were black and brown. But the meat markets serving barbecue were a casual affair and anyone was welcome, regardless of what you did for a living or what you looked like. So temporary smokers would set up shop where the migrants came to town, serving them from dawn till dusk. This was like the original food truck. After the Civil War, beef became uh, what's for dinner in Texas. Cattle prices rose as cowboys drove Texas longhorns northward along the Chisholm Trail from Texas. Can you guess where that trail ended? Texas to Kansas City. This is why we have Kansas City Barbecue. Don't miss this little anecdote about Texas brisket, friends. The unwanted, undesirable food. The brisket is one of the worst cuts of meat on the cow. It's fatty and tough. It's the breast of the cow, and they use it every time they stand up and every time they walk, which is basically their life. Right? They don't do much like, they don't play poker. This is what they do, and stand up. It's tough and fatty. The only way to cook it is low and slow. So the unwanted, undesirable food was given to unwanted, undesirable people, and it was served to them by Jews, more unwanted, undesirable people. And brisket has now become a delicacy. The shameful has gained honor because the shameful made it honorable. The shameful brisket is now honored because the shameful people that had to make it and the shameful people that had to eat it made it honorable. The story of brisket is the story of Jesus. It's what I'm trying to say up in this place this morning. Jesus became what was despised, a Galilean, a peasant from a questionable family background. And he gave his flesh honor so that we might all receive honor. He took what the poor migrant workers would eat, made by the immigrant Jews nobody wanted to associate with, and he brought glory and honor and worth to what was despised. Friends, that's what Jesus is still doing today. Among us, for the sake of the world, The goal isn't to shame the shameful. The goal is to see their redemption and bring them honor by loving and serving them with our new way to be human. Today, don't settle for a cheap spiritual gospel cut off from your real life and relationships that is just afterlife insurance. Today we proclaim the good news of Jesus is that he brought his kingdom which is a new way to be human. It's not Jew-Gentile. It's not left-right. It's an entire different thing that brings us into a new community where everyone gets honor, and that is the hope of the world, friends. You can't sucker punch enough Nazis or Antifa to make that world happen. But Jesus has already inaugurated it in our midst today. Let's learn again this fall how to be human from Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.